You've been blocked. <laughs> is the lighting good? Lighting is good. Lighting is good. All right. Well, you lead it away and I'll babble on. All right. Well, it's good. I'm just going to do a quick thing with my gimmick or post production. <laughs> okay. Welcome to another episode of Hustle and Grit. Today, back on our podcast is Scott Brown. He's the co owner of Ultimate Mortgage Group, a successful mortgage brokerage on Ontario. Scott is here to talk about his journey as an entrepreneur. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. Hey, Harris. How are you today? Good, good, good. Um, I know last time you were on the podcast, we spoke about um, the mortgage brokerage industry and and all that has to offer, at least within Ontario, within Canada. Um, and it was it was pretty good, valuable insight. It's still, I think, relevant today. So for those who want to check that out, I'm going to be leaving a link below. Um, it was some pretty valuable information, especially with uh, what, what's going on in the market right now. Um, it, I'm going to leave the link and then Scott's information below too, in case you, anyone wants to reach out. Uh, but today we're going to do a little bit of a, of a different conversation or have a different conversation. Um, and it's going to be more on um, Scott's journey as an entrepreneur. Um, and, and, and that's something that I feel like in the media, it's, it's glorified. So you see all these entrepreneurs out there saying, oh, my God, and, and I just knew the vision from day one. Um, and, and when in reality, anyone who's really thinking of starting a business who is probably has just started knows that the situation is a little bit different. So just to kick things off, Scott, talk us through a little bit about your journey in terms of starting a business. And, and I know that before you, you started your mortgage brokerage, you worked at a big bank and, and to go from a steady job that is with a a good employer that's going to be around for the foreseeable future to go from that into a place where you're kind of, you don't know, uh, or not everybody knows, um, what kind of success they're going to, um, be greeted by, um, what's going to happen. It's often scary for a lot of people, and it kind of reminds me of uh, Elon Musk's um, uh, little quote that he had where he says, entrepreneurship, it's, it's like uh, chewing a glass and looking into the abyss. So um, give us a little bit of a walkthrough in terms of what was going on in your mind when you were working and you're like, I might want to start a business. All right. So, well, when I started with CIBC as a mortgage agent is what they would call it it was already a risky position to start with so i sort of set a precedent for myself that i would be more inclined to take something with a commission base so my my first role with cibc was a small base of i think twenty thousand plus commission so i jumped into a risky role at the bank to start with um so after being at the bank for five years and just deciding to go on my own as a broker, I'd already sort of taken a risk and it paid off. So I had that behind me to help kind of catapult me. So when I'm entering this new job, I do know mortgages already, which mm-hmm. helps. Um, and I do know that you have to work for it in the sense of when you're on commission, you do have to work a little bit more differently and harder than in a different situation. 
Um, and I thought, figured that really, I, what's, what's the harm in trying? Because I could always go back. I could be a mortgage agent through any other bank in Canada if need be. I left with good reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the decision to do it, it was sort of almost like a natural progression. And I guess in a lot of ways, my whole, I do gravitate to more risky decisions when it comes to mortgages and career and investments and stuff like that. So you're saying like your temperament as an individual, not just in terms of your career is more risk prone. Yeah. Like you, gr- you have a good healthy appetite for risk in terms of jumping in. So then, um, because it is a still of a risk. I mean, you may know mortgages, but it's like now you have to worry about branding. You have to worry about all these other things that the bank was kind of taken care of. How did you mm-hmm. kind of approach all of that side? Was that something where you're like, you know, that stuff you'll figure out as you go along? Or is it something that you were like, I'm going to figure this out before I leave? Like, how did you kind of approach all of that? Yeah, so when I did leave, it was to join a brokerage that wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. mine. It was still becoming self-employed, but under someone else's branding. So I didn't have to do that. So really, when I left CIBC, my main focus was, and the hardest part is just to find your own clients. So okay. that's where my focus lied is, okay, if I'm going to leave where I walk in every day to five new files of CIBC clients looking to basically waking up every day and having to find my own five. How am I going to do that? So that was the consideration made when making the jump is, okay, who do I know in as a realtor or investment advisor or accountant, friends, family, what's my circle of influence? And how do I create a database to manage that? And how am I going to target those referral sources? So that's the preliminary work that was done. And for that particular time, I joined a company called Home Loans Canada, which is just a brokerage. And I was able to get an in-house arrangement, which means that you have a partnership with a particular realtor office. So I knew that I was, I set that up prior to, I knew that that's what I was getting into, mm-hmm. is being able to have access to these realtors right away. So then really the only thing is, is and this is I think where the most people find it difficult being self-employed, is the discipline. Is like all of a sudden you don't have to be at work at 9 a.m. sitting at your desk with a manager. You have to get up at 9 a.m. and you have to say, okay, what am I going to do today? Let's call. And I would randomly call those flyers you get in the mail for just sold this realtor's information. I'd call them randomly, try to get a meeting with them, a coffee. And some of those realtors I'd still deal with today after you know 15 years of being a broker. So... It's just, you have to kind of look at it uh, like you're not on vacation, which is easy to. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, speak, like to, I speak to a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, not a lot, but enough of entrepreneurs, more than I would like to, who kind of when they're starting <laughs> on off, it's like, yeah, I'm getting up at 11 or 12. I don't have a boss. I can, I can work whenever I want to. When in reality, I think, and I'm full of quotes today, but Kevin O'Leary says, or was it Mark Cuban? One of the Shark Tank guys is like, uh, an entrepreneur is somebody who works 80 hours a week because they don't want to work 40 hours a week. So, because they don't want, like, it's, there's just more work. There's just, it's not like, you know, you can get up when you want. In fact, you get, you get your job done as, for example, in your case, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, where you're um, doing all your clients' work and then your second job is to plan for everything else. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I did a business plan up. Mm-hmm. So you sort you of formally nailed it down. Up. Yeah, like a general like point form kind of guy. I yeah, didn't write something too too formal, but sort of like okay, what's my week going to look like? How am I going to structure my week? Maybe set goals like okay, meet two new or possible referral sources per week, and sort of at least put a frame together of okay. This is where I want to get to. How am I going to get there? What do I need to do to get there? Um, I didn't focus too much on things that cost money. And that was like marketing, yeah. anything like that. Like I did the the basic, like a business card, got your branding to, to some degree. Um, but that's it. I didn't waste money on that. Really, I felt that my best asset is free. And that's just me talking to these people yeah and maybe like taking them out for lunch and taking them out for dinner or coffee yeah. or drinks there i'd rather spend the money there um so that's what i did at the beginning I, 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 and and that was actually my next question was exactly how you started off because i feel like a lot of entrepreneurs when they're going from like a good job right or, or some place where you know you've got an office to come in and work in and like you said you're speaking to your manager then when you start on your own um, you, you have limited resources. There's not a lot of revenue coming in. So you're trying to figure out where am I going to put these resources to work? And a lot of times people's mindset is, you know, and I, again, I see this more often than I want to as well is to get swag. <laughs> so you get branded things like, Oh, this is my company. Or you can, you spend your money on things that are not going to show you an immediate return. So how did mm-hmm. you, and I kind of I know that you kind of briefly went through it. How do you prior prioritize where that spending was going? Was it just purely like you just said, relationship building, or was there some kind of criteria in your mind that was that you're kind of putting everything through to say this is where my funds are going? Yeah, like I think I'm fortunate in this industry, there isn't really a lot of overhead costs. It's just, you're not getting an office space. You're not starting with employees. Um, it's really like a one man shop. So I work from home, so I didn't have any of those overhead expenses. So I really kept it simple and knew that really it's just, you just need the basic things that you would give out, whether it's the business card or a flyer or whatever it may be. I think I had a flyer at the time that just sort of gave me a little bit of like a bio of what I do. So I put, you know, some effort and some time and some expense into that. I paid for my licensing to get licensed, obviously, and that was it. And then I would prioritize, like, if I'm calling realtors or getting referral sources, you know, I want someone that does business. So, you know, I would prioritize my spending on those type of referral sources. I would put my money there. When you have that in-house arrangement that I talked about earlier, um, that did cost money. You are paying a portion of your commission for any lead generated from a realtor in that office. Mm-hmm. So that is a cost really that isn't necessarily up front. It comes with you get paid and that's a cost of doing business. Yeah. You don't have to pay anything up front for something like that. But it's still a cost. It's really, it still affects your bottom line. Yeah, it affects the bottom line, but you at least make money to spend that yeah. money. So. I left it, I kept it simple and I figured what I do best and had I done best for the previous five years was just selling mortgages, get the client, 
get the client that has a need, get them pre-approved, get them the refinance or purchase they need, and keep it simple. That was it. Just get me on a client, and I will take it from there. So what was, I guess, uh, uh, from... And I, I want you to kind of compare uh, your CIBC to starting your own thing. So, um, and I know you had a little, like, uh, not little, um, just a, a time where you're spending it in a brokerage. Um, what do you enjoy about entrepreneurship now versus working for somebody? What did you enjoy when you were with CIBC versus now? So just the kind of relationship or the, the I would say juxtaposition or the opposition of working for somebody that's reputed, even though there's some risk, there is a brand, there's, there's some kind of support, whereas where you are now, a lot of the decision making, a lot of that, all of the or most of the high level thinking is on your shoulders. Yeah. So working for the bank is a security. You know, you have a pension. You know that you're going to have referrals coming in every day and your work doesn't tend to leave, you can leave it there yeah. at five. When you're done, you, you don't have you don't give clients your cell phones numbers back then, but at 5 PM you were done. You could walk away and really it doesn't linger with you and come home with you. Um, so that part, I wouldn't say that I miss that part, but that part is <laughs> was a good part about it. Um, even the social aspect too. You are going to an office, and you know there's still friends to this day that I have from that experience. That you know isn't is was a fun part of working for the bank, but I would say all of the things that are being self-employed I prefer in the mm -hmm. end. And it's the stuff that's even at the beginning that we talked about, like you're not on holiday, but now after doing it for so long, you can take a lot more time for yourself. You get to, you know, enjoy time that you scheduled. So I like the freedom of being an entrepreneur and self-employed person. And you get to that point after you have established and created your business. And now I do have staff that helps facilitate this the process and make my life easier so things get like the harder part of being an entrepreneur is probably the first five years but then once you get your groove and your client base and your process then you can start reaping the benefits of being self-employed by having your own schedule and your freedom and did you have any um hesitations when you're hiring your first employee or was it kind of a, a this is the right way to go yeah, like um, I'm trying to remember who that was back in the day. They're not with me anymore, mm -hmm. um, but we did start with an assistant, and you know there was no. It worked. It worked fine, and then we had another assistant, and then I went back to being alone, and now I am back to having more assistants. So there was a part of like letting go of control. Yeah, that was a little hard, um, but once you do it, my business went up quite a lot. So, because that is, I find it's just hiring the right people. Yeah, sorry, um, not to cut you off, but I, I found that like a lot with a lot of entrepreneurs, you're doing if you're really good at what you're doing, um, and you're confidently going through it. Now hiring somebody, either you're thinking, oh my god, I'm gonna have to pay this person no matter what, right? But if you get over that, there is a, or if you don't have that to begin with, there's this whole mindset of like you're just saying, um, I'm not doing the files. 
I'm not going to be drafting the emails to my clients <laughs> the way I like somebody else. They're going to do it their own way. Um, and, and you know your clients better. And, and there's just all this other stuff that you've perhaps spent so many years not only learning but refining through so many uh, situations that you've gone through, so many clients, all this information that you have that this person that you're hiring may not have. Or, or if they do have, they have it to a lesser degree. So how did you kind of approach relinquishing some of that kind of control? Was it something where it was a gradual learning process? Was it something that you're like, you know, I'm going to go cold turkey. I have to force myself. How did you kind of struggle or, or approach kind of giving up that control? Yeah, so it came out of necessity. The volumes were too big to handle. So that's a good problem I was to have. forced into doing. <laughs> yeah, it's a good problem to handle. Um, and then, you know, hiring the right people. So when I did do interviews, I'd always have uh, someone there to sort of sit and watch mm -hmm. so I can get a second opinion on them. Um, I was fortunate to get it, getting my assistance through people I knew or through companies I knew. So there wasn't a level of, uh, you know, like a trust there and a level yeah. of confidence in them that I already had. And then as far as like, yeah, like I wouldn't say they went full tilt and all talking to clients. It was a gradual process where I'd maybe be CC'd on all communications to clients for the first couple months just to see what their style is. And really, I feel like they've all become an extension of me. They all have a similar way to email and to talk to clients. Mm. And the clients are always aware I'm still there, which I think is also key. It's like, hey, you may be speaking to my assistant Josh or Christina, but if anything comes up and you're not happy with what they tell you or you're not happy with anything, they know I'm still there. Yeah, so they can reach but out to I'm putting my yeah. yeah, and I'm putting my attention into yeah. the stuff that makes the business continue to go on, and they're putting their attention into ensuring the business runs smoothly. I mean, and, and that's the other thing where it's like as, as you're growing – um, you're bringing in your experience, whereas there may be a lot of like 80, 90, 5% of a f work on a file may be done by somebody within the organization. You're really there for something that's difficult, um, that, that only experience can replace, which your assistants may not have. Um, exactly. There's lots to learn in the industry, yeah. like just cause not every purchase deal is the same. There's always some little like, yeah. Oh nuance to it and they've learned so much in doing it just because of the large volumes and deals so this but they're always know that i'm there it's like scott this letter of employment looks wonky the income on this deal looks different yeah. whatever that issue may be it's very much an open door and then it gets to the point where you don't hear from them as much because they've learned for all through all these transactions that they're doing yeah. so Moving a little bit to some leadership questions. Um, how do you plan for the future of your brokerage? So how do you plan where you're going to bring it 10 years from now? And I know you've got uh, your brokerage, you've got three co-owners, so you're one of three co-owners. How do you guys kind of come together and figure out um, where do we see this brokerage in five years? Where do we see it in 10 years? Like what's the um, brainstorming that goes behind that in terms of the vision of the brokerage overall? So we look at the market and see what the sort of market trends are going forward. We also look at where do we, what we want. 
Like, do we want to continue growing? Do we want to continue maintaining? At this point, we're looking to grow. So we've hired someone called the business development manager. She mm -hmm. represents our brokerage. So that's a recent change that we made last year. So we wanted to be able to attract new agents, but also we don't have the time to coach them, to be there to help them on every deal, to give them the training support and knowledge that we have. So this person is an extension of us in that sense. So any new hires now have like a personal one-on-one -on -one coach to help them succeed. So that's where we're putting our attention is to build teams, but not have to manage the people because we already have our own existing client bases, our own existing teams to manage. And it's not fair to hire someone and not be able to give them the time that yeah. they need to make them successful. So that's really where we decided to put our attention is to completing, completely creating a new team with this new person yeah. to hire new talent. As maybe we start doing business a little bit, that will pick up the slack and maintain the company for years to come. So that's where we're putting our, and also just keeping up to date with technology in our space for years and years and years, there's been one, one, uh, file submission system. And now in over the pandemic, there's like four or five, it's keeping up with technology and making sure that we have the right technology to give to our agents. Yeah. These younger guys, they want, you know, the latest technology <laughs> and clients want it too. Yeah. So keeping up on that stuff and also just keeping our brand and trying to keep current on social media. That's another thing that didn't exist when I started. Um, I mean, I, I think your firm, just, I, yeah. your social media, even though it, when you started, it wasn't there. I think from my experience, you guys do it um, in some of the, one of the best ways. I don't know if you've got a professional behind this full time. But just how polished the social media and all of that advertising is. Just that's just a note on the side that I thought it was like very yeah. refined. <laughs> it's like well, nice thanks, to look thanks. at. You see, like you're like, oh, okay. It gets to the point, and that's, I think it's it's an art, but it's also a science as to what what message you're communicating. But back to back to you growing your team. Um, when you're growing your team now, like especially when um, it's going to a point where you're you're perhaps a leadership figure within the company, but these new agents coming in um, don't may not have as much of a direct connection with you as somebody on your team would naturally just because there's only so many hours in, in the day and your, your, your kind of um, objective is to create the company or corporate culture and, and disseminate knowledge and all of that. So how do you create culture um, throughout the company um, what is that culture? Would you kind of describe? Can you describe what your culture is, what it's like working um, with your brokerage? And how did you kind of come about it? How do you kind of make sure that you enforce it um, or the leadership enforces it within the brokerage? Yeah, so all these new agents know of me and my yeah. business partners. We, in some cases, have been involved in the interview of them as an introduction, or I've done calls every couple of weeks for them and their team just to sort of say give best practices and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So there is a lot of communication between all three business partners and the team. It's just the chain of command is that they come to us. It comes to us last through our BDM basically. Mm -hmm. So we want to be visible. We want to be able to sh 
you know, show these new agents, and this is part of us attracting their talent too, is they want to come to our brokerage because of the amount of business we do, uh, because of the awards we've won. And that is because of me and my business partners and the current agents that are here. So there is a all around sharing and um, distribution of information and access to information that we give these new agents. Um, one of my business partners has every week a different call with a different lender. So every Thursday at 10 a.m., there's a new lender that all these new agents can join to learn about Meridian's product or TD's product. So we want to make sure that they're getting the education they need and the access to that information. And then our BDM, Anna, is responsible for your day-to-day. What are you doing to get business? Let me help you make your CRM. Let me help you draft an email to a possible realtor that you might send to business. Our her goal is really to get them getting deals in. Mm. And if the deal's complicated and needs help, me and one of my business partners will gladly step in to get that deal done. Whereas another brokerage, a lot of things go by the wayside and we get a lot of new agents that they just didn't get the support. They were getting some leads in and then they kept losing them because no one was there to help them put yeah. the deal together. And that takes a long t- it takes a while to learn how to put a deal together. It's almost the more pretty you look, the more likely you're going to get an approval. Yeah. I, Same I, deal could get declined elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know, um, I guess uh, this is completely sidetracking, but when an agent's looking for a brokerage, I mean, there's different sizes and flavors and all this like that goes into a brokerage. Some brokerages aren't uh, built to um, uh, train people. And I've, I've spoken to broker owners who say, yeah, we're not – if somebody's refined, they, if there's a certain type of uh, agent they can take on, but they can't train or others will just train. So really, like, especially for an agent, if they're looking for support and all of that stuff, it really like they really have to be careful as to which brokerage they join, because you're right. They're not going to get it everywhere. They're not going to get that same that whatever support they're looking for. Some of them may just want underwriting. Others is like if they're going through a CRM, like. There's, I find at least most brokerages don't have the capacity to train um, for one reason or another. Most of them are looking for, um, because the business model is very different for the longest time. Everybody is kind of a self-employed, figure it out yourself, um, but you're kind of working under an umbrella type of situation. That's just it. Like we need to make sure we give these people tools to succeed. And that's really what we want to try to differentiate ourselves. Going back to your question earlier, what are we trying to do for the future? We just want to be a better company, whether it's more efficient in all different aspects of the business, to be a better employer to our current agents, to hire and attract new talent, to be a leader in the industry. We just want to keep it fresh, keep it simple to some degree, and you know, be around for a long time. So just to, I guess, the last segment of uh, the podcast, I'm bringing it right back to um, yourself and your successful habits. Um, What time do you wake up during the day? Every day? Seven. Seven o'clock. And uh, is that weekends as well? Do you sleep in during the weekends? It's funny. I think my internal clock screwed up. But on the weekends... (laughs) Eight, eight thirty, just fine. I'm kind of a morning person. The older I get, I become more a morning person. I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. And what's the first thing you do when you wake up? 
First thing I do is probably grab my phone. Um, second thing I do is shower. Okay. And then when do you kind of get into the office? What's that day look like? Eight. So definitely always in the office by eight and at least until five, four thirty five. And then what's uh, the last thing that you're, what you do before you go to bed? I'll probably check my phone again <laughs> or addicted awesome. to my phone. Uh, no, yeah, I'd watch TV, read. I like to read um, and phone. And what do you do to kind of um, detox, to, to kind of get your mind away from, from everything that you're doing in terms of your business? How do you kind of, um, I guess, not normalize yourself, but relax? Yeah, like in the evenings, I tend to not work. Mm-hmm. unless a client is in a bidding war situation and really needs me, I try to keep a separation on weekends and evenings. Mm-hmm. That way, when I am working, I am available and on. Um, in my downtime, it would be just hanging out with friends, family, working out, getting in, going to the cottage, traveling, just anything that I'm not sitting at a desk. Yeah, moving around. <laughs> moving around. Got to keep this body moving. Yep. Well, thanks for the uh, thanks for coming on the, another episode. Really appreciate the insights. I'm sure a lot of people are going uh, to get some great uh, feedback from all of this. Thanks, Sarah. Appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. Stay well. Cheers. All right, that was good. Um, yeah, it was right. kind of longer than anticipated, but it was good. It was a good conversation.